Hi, this is Ben Lowell, and welcome to Back to the Bible Canada with Dr. John Newfeld. Well, we're continuing our New Year series, The Best is Ahead, with a message titled, The Lesson of the Fig Tree. So turn in your Bibles to Matthew 24, 32 to 41, as we join Dr. Newfeld now. What's going to happen in the future? Those are the questions asked and answered by those who read tea leaves and divine livers, as well as those who become familiar with current trends and try to make educated guesses as to where we're heading. But as those of us who know something about the past will tell you, the future is always full of unanticipated surprises. You know, when Kathy and I got married, we used to love to sing with each other. And so on our wedding day, we held hands and we sung to each other. And the song we sang began as follows. We don't know what tomorrow holds, but we know who holds tomorrow. And for us, that was our testimony. We were convinced, you know, from those who are wiser and older than we, that the future is filled with joys and with sorrows. And although the wise try to make plans, taking in mind the things that might occur, and yet no human being can make all the possible future scenarios and take them into their plans. And Kathy and I really meant it. We don't know what tomorrow holds. Perhaps we thought we're going to have children and and then we'll grow old together. But we also knew of many who never got those opportunities. And yet we knew the one who held tomorrow. At least we knew enough to know that he was our heavenly father and that he had sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. And so we had all the evidence that we needed of his love for us. And hence we could approach the future with confidence. I want us to imagine the disciples of Jesus. You know, in three days, although he had already told them, and yet they never fully understood him, and yet in three days, their Lord would be arrested and falsely accused and tried and convicted and then nailed to a cross. How suddenly their understanding of what the future held would be horribly upset. Of course, three days later, he did rise from the dead and show himself to them, and next he would go on to teach them for 40 days, and then he'd be taken up into heaven with the command that until he returns— They were to go into the world and make disciples from people of all people groups on the face of the earth. And they've also been told that persecution and imprisonment and death await them in their mission. But they were not to be afraid. For one, Jesus has promised that he will always be with them through the Holy Spirit whom he has sent. But they were also to remember that he will come again. And the hope of the apostles is our hope. Yes, we are to be about the Lord's business before he comes. And I'm going to say more about that tomorrow. But they are to live in hope, and so must we. And this is a command. Hope is an essential part of the Christian faith. Despair or anxiety or hopelessness might come for a moment, but it is not a way of life for us. And believers, we must grasp hard onto the truth that our very best days are definitely not behind us. They're ahead of us. And for this reason, every single believer is required to think often about the end of the age and of the coming of our Lord. Well, we've embarked on a short one-week study of Matthew 24, which is the Olivet Discourse. Jesus and his disciples have been sitting on the Mount of Olives, overlooking the valley and then the hill on the other side, where the grand, majestic, and glorious temple was situated. And Jesus has been telling his disciples that not one stone would be left on another, all would be thrown down, and that temple would soon be no more. The tragedy of all of that is that the temple at the time of Jesus, and right up until A.D. 70 when it was destroyed, that temple, while it was still under construction, it was never fully finished when it was destroyed. 
But these thoughts led the disciples to ask, when will these things happen? And what will be the sign of the end of the age? And that's what Matthew 24 is all about. At first, Jesus tells them not to be overwhelmed, for in the future, down the road, there'll be wars and great upheaval, persecution of his followers, and some of his followers abandoning the gospel and leaving him. These things must happen, he said, and then he reiterates that the temple will be destroyed. But then after that series of events have run their course, will come the end of the age. He himself will appear in the heavens and he will return for his elect. But still, in all that has been said, that is, up until verse 31, he has not told his disciples, even for a moment, when this would be. And as we keep reading, we will see that he has no intention of telling them. They won't know, but there's an attitude they should have as they await his return. So let's start by reading today's text. I'm going to begin with Matthew 24, 32 to 35. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that the summer is near. So also, when you see all these things, you know that he is near at the very gates. Truly, I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, if you've been tracking in this study, I have on several occasions had us slow down and make sure we understand the meaning of the words. It's important to know what Jesus is saying as well as what he's not saying. So rather than starting at verse 32, just for clarity's sake, let's go to verse 33 first. You notice the phrase, so also when you see all these things. It's precisely here that we need to stop, not take things for granted or assume that we understand, but take time and carefully analyze these words. What are the these things that Jesus is talking about? Now, if Jesus is referring to the things he has just said, well, it wouldn't make sense. See, just prior to these words, Jesus has said, at the very end, the sun is going to be darkened and all the lights of the sky will suddenly go dark. Then his banner will be unfurled in the heavens, and then he will appear, giving the angels his command to gather his elect from every corner of the globe. And so if the these things are about that, well, it wouldn't make sense. That's because to say that when you see Jesus appearing in the sky, then you know that the end is near. No, no, when you see those things, the end's already upon us. There's no reason to give instruction about that. And so again, what are the these things? Now, I hope you remember, this is not a new discussion. Do you remember we discovered already that very principle in verse 29? You know, it said, immediately after the tribulation of those days, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and and so forth. See, those days back in verse 29, well, they didn't refer to the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem. I had said most definitively that Jesus, unlike his disciples, did not believe that when the temple was destroyed, that event would signal the end of the world. Rather, I had then said that the use of the phrase, those days, refers to all the days from the ascension of Jesus to the giving of the Holy Spirit to the creation of the church, then after that era is over, only when it is over, then the sun will be darkened and so forth. In other words, Jesus was telling his disciples that the time between his first and second coming, in that time period, there would be wars and rumors of wars and earthquakes and famines and nations rising up against nations and persecution directed at his followers and the love of many of his followers growing cold. Finally, with human sin continuing on, eventually the human race itself would stand at the brink of ruin. 
after those days, then the sun would be darkened and he would appear in the sky and the nations of the earth would mourn. Now then, since that was the proper way of understanding the phrase those days, back in verse 29, it seems natural then that the proper way of understanding the same phrase in verse 33, that is, when you see these things, that must be referring to the very same concept. So let's list it. After you've seen, well, the abomination of desolation in Jerusalem. After you've seen false messiahs leading many astray. After you've seen wars and rumors of wars and nation rising up against nations and famines and earthquakes of persecution of believers, of many false prophets leading many people astray, even the elect, if that were possible. And after you've seen the gospel of the kingdom proclaimed to every ethnic group on the face of the earth, after all that, know that he is near even at the gates. And that's what we have in verse 33. And with that, we're ready now to discuss verse 32. From the fig tree, learn its lesson. As soon as its branch becomes tender and puts out its leaves, you know that summer is near. Now, I'm saddened to say this, but there are those who tend to read their own meaning into this text. They're going to say, ah, the fig tree, well, that's a symbol of Israel. And they say Jesus meant to say that when Israel becomes a nation again, then you know that the end is near. But remember, it's so important not to put your own words or your own thoughts into Jesus' mouth. He never said anything about Israel becoming a nation again, never, in all the Olivet Discourse. And so what is the lesson of the fig tree? You know, it's far more simple than we have thought. By common observation, the twigs on a tree get tender before the summer. And that's a signal that the summer is near. And using that as an analogy, when you see all these things, you know that the end is near. So you might say, oh, but wait, I don't get it. Since the these things that Jesus spoke about that all these things were about, you know, the persecution and the wars and everything else going on for 2,000 years unabated. Well, if that's the case, how can the analogy of the fig tree signal the beginning of summer in any way? Now, if anything at all, Jesus has been teaching his disciples that they can't know which is the time of the end. And yet, he says, learn a lesson from the fig tree. What's Jesus trying to teach us? December is coming to a close, and once again, we've been so blessed and encouraged by so many across the country expressing their support for the ministries of Back to the Bible Canada by sending a year-end gift. We're privileged to be part of this Bible teaching and engagement ministry, and blessed to share this mission with you. Our goal by December 31st is to raise $490,000. These funds provide a necessary solid foundation for ministry in 2022 and will ultimately contribute to the gospel being declared and lives changed. Thank you for the role you play in making this possible. To support in the year-end campaign, please call us at 1-800-663-2425 or contribute online at backtothebible.ca by December 31st. Our sincere gratitude in advance. What is the lesson of the fig tree? We know that this entire discussion began by the disciples asking Jesus, what would be the hour of your coming and of the sign of the close of the age? Tell us, they say, when will these things happen? Now, in order to learn the lesson of the fig tree, we need to keep reading 
then come back to that conundrum later. So let's look at verses 34 and 35. Jesus says, Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. Now, verse 34, the verse about this generation not passing away has led to a great deal of debate. I have in this series already mentioned those who have argued that the fig tree must mean Israel becoming a nation. And then from that sketchy interpretation comes the idea that the generation Jesus was talking about that wouldn't pass away, well, that must be the generation that's alive when Israel becomes a nation. And I pointed out that those who have argued it had argued in the past that a biblical generation is 40 years. And so using that as a means of measurement, well, they came to a conclusion that, well, since Israel became a nation again in 1948, that it must then stand to reason that Christ will return before 1988. Well, after 1988 passed, I heard others saying, well, sometimes a generation is 50 years, and so that got us to 1998. And now it's been over 70 years, and still, you know, Christ has not returned. And so from simply reviewing the facts on the ground, if that's what Jesus meant when he said, this generation will not pass away, well, it seems we must have been wrong. Now, there have been other ways of attempting to understand this phrase, everything from, yep, Jesus was wrong, to A generation is simply a euphemism for saying, you know, the generation of the human race or the generation of the Jewish race. But I find none of those things to be satisfying. And still others argue that the generation Jesus meant is the generation that was alive when the gospel was finally been preached to every nation under heaven. But if all of those interpretations are wrong, and I think they are, well, then everything hinges on the all things or these things that Jesus was speaking about. Let me see if I can put Jesus' words into my own words. Looking at his disciples, he says, truly I say to you, your generation, that is your time period, the hour of history that makes up your lifespan, your generation will not pass away until all these things take place. So which things? Well, the answer is persecution, wars, famines, earthquakes, people falling away from the faith, Jerusalem being destroyed, the gospel starting to be preached into all the world, all these things are going to take place in your generation. Yeah, he says, heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will be borne out to be true. Ah, So Jesus was not saying anything about the generation that would see the second coming. Rather, he was saying a lot about what the disciples' generation would see in their lifetime. And that makes sense to the very next verse, because verse 36 says, But concerning that day and hour, no one knows, not even the angels of heaven, nor the Son, but the Father only. See, it makes no sense at all to say, well, we won't know the day or the hour, so that simply means we don't know a 24-hour time period, but we might know the month, the year, or even the decade. Now listen, that's not what Jesus meant. Jesus meant, you won't know when I'm coming back. You just won't know, period. So if you're asking where we are on the prophetic calendar, you won't know. And that's essential. All of us need to stop listening to people who tell us where we currently stand in relation to the coming of the Lord. Now, just a little rabbit trail, but it's an important one. You know, there are those who wonder how Jesus being fully God and also fully equal with both the Father and the Spirit would say that the Father knows the day and the hour, but I don't know. So how's that possible? Let me give two examples from the life of Jesus. And the first comes from John 1, 48. 
Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? And Jesus answered him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Of course, Jesus saw him. He's God. He sees everything. Now from Mark chapter 5. A woman who has a problem with perpetual bleeding says to herself as the crowds are pushing in around Jesus, if I can just get near enough to touch the hem of his garment, I know I'm going to be healed. And she manages it and she's healed. Jesus stops and asks his disciples, who just touched me? I felt power go out of me. And they say, look, tons of people are touching you. No, no, he says, someone touched me for healing and I want to know who it was. Now, those two accounts show us something we'll never be able to fully grasp. It's a mystery. That is, Jesus is at the same time both fully God and fully man. As God, he knows all things. As man, he does not. And as man, he depends fully upon the Father. All Jesus is saying here is that as man, I don't know the day or the hour any more than you do. And look, since that's the case, then might I say to all Christians, stop guessing how close we are to the second coming of Jesus. If Jesus said, even I can't guess, then let me ask you, dear follower of Jesus, just how do you think it comes to be that you can guess? This pretending we know where we are on the prophetic calendar, it's sheer folly. And with that, Jesus gives two illustrations. The first in verses 37 to 39. For as were the days of Noah, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. For as in those days before the flood, they were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage until the day when Noah entered the ark, and they were unaware until a flood came and swept them all away, so will be the coming of the Son of Man. That is from a human perspective. Things will be going on as they always have been. Wars, rumors of wars, famines, earthquakes, persecution, devastating human events. People will not anticipate just how close they are. Now comes Jesus' second illustration. It's in Matthew 24, 40 to 41. Then two men will be in a field. One will be taken and one left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken and one left. Now the first illustration about the days of Noah seems a little easier to understand than this one. People in Noah's day thought the world and human civilization is going to carry on, not realizing what God had in store. They didn't take into account the being of God, nor his commitment to his word, his world, and his promises. And for that reason, they were destroyed. Now, as an aside, Peter says that for believers, they live in expectation. They're not surprised when the Lord returns. But in our illustration that Jesus uses here, he means no more than his coming will not be known. But back to the two men in the field, the two women at the mill, grinding grain. What are we to make of that? Well, on the one hand, these are people that are going about their regular duties. They're working. They're trying to make a living. They're trying to make ends meet. And just like the time of the flood, it comes quickly. Look back at verse 39. Suddenly in the flood, they are swept away. And I think that's what Jesus means here. Two men are in a field, and then suddenly one is swept away. He's lost. But the other one's left, and he's saved. Two women were grinding at a mill, and one is swept away into the judgment, but one remains. She's saved. Now, the point here is supposed to be that things seem to be carrying on as before. No one knows the day or the hour. No one knows how close they are to the prophetic end of the ages. Only the Father knows. And Jesus, in his human mission, declared he himself didn't know. And all that brings us back to the lesson of the fig tree. Remember, Jesus says that when the branches become tender, the leaves are sprouting. We know that the summer is near. And given what he said after that, 
He can't mean when you see certain signs, you must know that you're the generation that will see Christ. See, he denies that interpretation. But what then is the sign of the fig tree? Well, let's see if I can explain it and then make proper application. When you live in an era in which there are wars and rumors of war and earthquakes and famines, and when people are persecuting you for sharing the gospel of Jesus, and when the gospel is being proclaimed to the very ends of the earth, when some people are falling away from the faith, when these things happen, remember Jesus told you they would, and they tell you to expect the coming of Jesus at any time. See, that doesn't mean we know when that time is. We don't. But we live in continual expectation. And that's especially important as we approach a new year. Lord, we need to say, we don't know what this year will hold or or this time in human history may bring. It may well be that this year is smooth sailing, but we suspect that many troubles await us. But the sign of the fig tree tells us that we're living in the era of our Lord's soon return. And so we give ourselves to live hopefully and not fearfully. No matter how bad it gets today, we know that in the end, it will be overwhelmingly good for our Lord is coming. The summer is near. We don't know how near, but we know it's coming and we're anxiously waiting. Thanks for your message, John. You know, perhaps for clarity though, because for many of us, it can be confusing. What did Jesus mean when he said, this generation will not pass away until all these things have occurred. Yeah, so let's be very clear. I mean, some people claim that there must be some kind of a sign that when that sign occurs, the generation that sees that sign won't pass away. I've said that's not what Jesus is saying. Uh, His disciples were the ones who heard it. Your generation, he said to the disciples, will not pass away until these things have happened. And again, as I've said in this message, that these things refers to wars, rumors of wars, earthquakes, famine, persecution, the love of many growing cold. And also he adds the idea that uh, the temple will be destroyed. So those are the things that happened. That's what Jesus was talking about. That was Jesus' prophecy. It was literally fulfilled. And because of that, we know that Jesus is a true prophet of God. Thanks, John. That helps. And remember to join us again for the final message in our series, The Best is Ahead, right here on Back to the Bible Canada, Bible teaching you can trust. For many reasons, this has been a challenging year, but a year where God has once again proven himself faithful in providing for the needs of this ministry and have allowed Back to the Bible Canada to not only sustain our Bible teaching and engagement efforts, but to expand those efforts through new mediums and into new locations across Canada and in fact around the world. Your faithfulness has made this ministry possible. And our prayer is that you will continue to stand with us in support of this ministry for 2022. Your financial gifts are more than kindness. They are a participation in seeding God's word and a trust in kingdom work. The ministry target this year is to raise $490,000 during the month of December. This is a significant goal, but a necessary one. 
So please join us in this effort by sending your year-end gift by midnight of December 31st. Call us at 1-800-663-2425 or visit backtothebible.ca.